You know, and that's really important to all of us, I hope, that we want to take our faith to a new level. There should always be the desire of our lives to be growing more and more into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's really part of what we want to achieve here and we, as we study the first letter that John wrote to the church. I'm calling it the last letter of, of Grandpa John because this is the last letter that he actually wrote to the church. And at this point, he's probably a grandpa. At least he could be a grandpa. We don't know if he ever was married, but if he did have, get married, we know by this time when he's 90 years old, that he'll have had grandkids. And if he's not married, he could have grandkids in the church itself. You know, it's been 50 years since Jesus had ascended into heaven at this point. 50 years since John would have seen the church give, be born out on Pentecost Sunday. At this point in time, what we know is that, you know, all the other disciples have been martyred for their faith. At this time, that uh, the, all the New Testament books had, that would be written, except for the one John writes, have already been written. So all the New Testament is pretty much compiled. And as I said, John is a lone survivor uh, at this time. And yet somewhere between 85 and 95 A.D., it's interesting how the Holy Spirit moved on him at this point in his life, and he began to feel an urge that he was going to write some more things about Jesus Christ. So here he is, late in life, being moved by the Holy Spirit, and he begins to write. And he writes the Gospel of John, all about the life of Jesus Christ while he was on earth. He, he's given the, the apocalypse of, John, of Jesus, I should say, as he writes about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back in all of his glory. He writes this first letter, and then a second letter, and the third letter of John. Two of them were written to individuals, we know that. The second and third letter was not written to the church at large, but they were written to individuals who were a part of the church. The, first, the second letter was written to a, a lady, we don't even know her name, to her child, we don't know his name, but it was an important letter for them to hear, and John wrote it to them. After that, he writes the third letter, that this short little letter, is to a man named Gaius. We don't really know much about him either, and so John is writing to them, and we know that they're short letters because they're only about 300 words, and the reason why is because he probably put it on one sheet of papyra, and so um, that would take about 300 words, and so John was probably just writing a short little word of encouragement to these individuals. But when he writes 1 John, he's really writing to the church at large at this point. Even though he's pastoring the church in Ephesus, he's writing to the whole church at large as a word of encouragement to him. Now here's what we think about when we think about receiving a letter. Don't you want to know, isn't the first thing you want to know is, who's writing this to me? I mean, that's the first thing we want to know is the author of the letter, because that's important. I mean, if we know who it is and we know that it's an important person, we'll pay attention. If it's not much, you know, if we don't know anything about them and we don't know anything about what they're doing, it's not that important to us. But when we really know who they are, it's really important for us to listen. And that's pretty much the feeling of what's happening here because the people would have known that this came from John the Apostle. The same John who was included in the inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples, Peter, James, and John. The same John who was taken up into the mountain of transfiguration and watched as Jesus was miraculously transformed in front of their eyes and they saw him in his glorious heavenly splendor. And then they heard that voice come out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. John was there. John was also there when Jesus, in the night when he was betrayed, said to his disciples, come and pray with me. 
And so John was included in that group of 12 that went to Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. And then John was one that was included when he said to the others, you stay here, but Peter, James, and John, come with me apart so that we can pray together. John was there, and he watched Jesus get arrested that night. The same John who had seen Jesus there get transfigured. But the other thing we know about John is he was probably Jesus' best friend. Now, I really believe that. I believe that John and Jesus were best friends. I mean, we all have friends in life, don't we? Some are closer than others, but every so often you have that one person who you just love being around. There's a connection that you feel with each other. I think that's the relationship that Jesus and John had with each other. Because when John writes his gospel, five times he'll say about himself, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the other guys. He loved all of them. But there was a special love connection between Jesus and John in a really good way. And so there is this kind of this, this bonding together as these two are best friends. And you know, you see it indicated in Scripture as well. Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he's with his disciples in the upper room for the very last time with them. And he, he says something shocking. He tells them this, one of you will betray me this night. And they were all shocked to hear that. But the one who really wanted to know more about it was Peter. Peter wasn't sitting next to Jesus, but he saw that John was in the favorite spot right next to Jesus. And as if Peter says to, looks at John and says, John, ask him. John, ask him. John, find out. Ask him who it is. And John leans over to Jesus, puts his head on his chest, and says, who is it, Lord? And Jesus tells him who it is. And remember how when Jesus was being crucified and, 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 and all the other disciples at this point have fled from him? Who's standing at the foot of the cross in, in sight of Jesus? John. And he's standing with Mary. And, and it's here that Jesus says, you know, Mary, look to him as your son. And John, treat her as your mom. Take care of her like I would take care of her. See, you only say that to somebody who's a good, good friend, maybe your best friend. So we're looking at somebody who was really good friends with Jesus, maybe a best friends with Jesus. I mean, and that friendship, would, it really hasn't ended, but it changed a lot because John and Jesus haven't been together for years. As I said, scholars think that John at this point is about 95 years old, which means that he saw a lot of things happen in his lifetime. I mean, he saw a number of things. He saw all the other disciples martyred for their faith. At least he heard about them. He actually probably witnessed the temples being destroyed, according to how Jesus predicted that, that there would, one stone would not be left on top of another. And John saw that take place in his lifetime. He probably experienced some of the persecution that was going on in the church at this point under, first of all, the Emperor Nero, then under Emperor Domitian, and he knew something of that suffering as well. He, in fact, he was persecuted. We know that he was boiled in oil, and, and where most people would have died under that experience, he survived somehow. 
And now with third-degree burns all over his body, he is sent away to an isolated island called Patmos where he is intending to spend the rest of his life there. But it's there in that lonely, desolate island that he receives the greatest revelation that he ever received, and that is the revelation of how Jesus would one day come back in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, and sit on a throne in Jerusalem and rule the world. And he saw the details of that played out for him at that time when he was on Patmos. But John didn't die there, did he? In fact, John would leave that island and he would make his way back to Ephesus and he would become the pastor of that church. So here he is, 90s leading, leading to 100, and he's back pastoring this church there. And so here's John, 90-some years old, serving this church as a pastor, doing what he probably loved to do, just care for the church and being able to minister to the people in the church. And at this point, when he goes back to this church, it's probably not like the church that he knew 50 years earlier. I mean, it's probably changed a bit. It's no longer the first generation of believers. Now we're probably talking about the second generation of believers. And so John is probably talking to people who are now the grandchildren or the children of those who had started the church. The good news is it's still a large church. It's still an active church. There's still good things going on about this church. But John knows that from the revelation that he received from Jesus Christ that there's things that are in this church that need to be corrected. And one of them is that they had left their first love for our Lord. Remember when he's on the island of Patmos and how Jesus gave him that revelation of himself? And one of the first things that Jesus did, he talked about himself being the, the, the light for the candlesticks, the seven churches, and he had specific words to the number of different churches, seven in particular. One of them, the first one of them, was Ephesus. And here's what Jesus writes. He says, I know your deeds... I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you don't tolerate wicked men. I know that you have endured hardship for my name without becoming weary. I mean, what, tremendous things that he said about this church. But then he says, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. So I want you to turn around, go back, and love me the like you did at the first. I mean, it's John who got to deliver this message to that church. And I don't know if he actually took that revelation with he, when he came back for the very first time and now delivered it, but he would have been in the delivery of that letter to this church because it was given to him when he was on the island of Patmos. And as I said, it talks about how wonderful this church is, the deeds that they're doing, the hard work that they've endured, the being true to the, the, the gospel message itself. And, and, and even though they could have become weary, they hadn't even become weary in, in, in remaining true. But they had that one thing against them, and that they had lost their first love. That the, the fire, the spark that they had at the very first was not there any longer. Again, sometimes it happens to a second generation of believers, but it wasn't there, a part of that church. And John knows that there's a reason for some of that happening. Because he knows that there were false teachers that had come in and they were teaching a false philosophy that had nothing to do with Christianity but was having an impact on the Christian community. It was all this idea of something called Gnosticism. Uh, the Gnostics, they were called, who had a teaching that was not originally the teaching that the church was given, but now had become part of the teaching of many people in the church. And his basic principle of his philosophy was simply this, that material things were evil and spiritual things were good. 
And because there was such a difference between the evil and the good, that there was never going to be the combination of both of them, that they couldn't come together. And because the material world was evil, God could never unite himself with the, the physical world in such a way that he would ever send himself or his son to earth out of heaven and be connected with a physical body here on earth. And so what they held to the fact that there was no connection between what John will want, wants to say is that Jesus is all man and all God, they would never allow that to happen. And this was going through the church. And what had happened is that it had this idea when it came to the understanding of who Jesus was. Some Gnostics believed that Jesus was God, but because he was God, he didn't have any physical essence at all in this world. And so they saw Jesus, there he is God, but there's no physical flesh that he is wearing. And so they saw him more as a phantom. And so when they talked about Jesus being walking on the earth, they realized that you can talk about him walking, but he's really floating above the earth. And when you can see him eating some meals with the disciples, he didn't really eat the meals. It just looked like he ate the meal. Because he was, if he really was God, he would never have anything to do with this material world. That was the basic idea that they had. And the other idea that they had was that he was really just a human. And there was no divine, really divine part of him. And so their idea was that as a man, he had the spirit descend upon him and take a, have his place over him, but never had the spirit within him. He couldn't have had that happen. And so he, the, the Holy Spirit or the God part was never a part of him. And so his divine spirit, well, what happened, they would say, is the divine spirit came upon him at his baptism, but before he died, it left him because the spirit can't die. And so the spirit left him before that. And so the only part of Jesus that died that day was the part that was the material part, because that's the only part that really was Jesus. It was only his flesh that died in that day. And so when Jesus died on the cross, only his humanity died. I mean, this is the teaching that infiltrated that church at that time. And John saw it for what it was. He saw it here, it was an attack on the real Jesus. It was an attack on what we hold to as central to our doctrine is that Jesus came from heaven as God and took on human flesh and lived as a man in this world because he was a man as well. And so John knew how important it was for our salvation to understand that we believe that he is all God and all man because there's no salvation without God becoming man to redeem us from the sin that we're in. And so John now was wanting to share that good news with the believers there in Ephesus and the church community surrounding it all about the real Jesus that he met. So look at how he starts this. Here's how he starts it. Let's get at it. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, we, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And so again, it's nothing to do with this idea that Jesus Christ was a phantom living among us and we just didn't realize that he had no physical substance. John says, no, 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 that is not the case. We have heard him with our own ears. We have seen him with our own eyes. 
We've reached out and touched him, and we felt him with our own hands. And we know the reality of who he is. He is as real as real can be. And so here's Grandpa John writing when he's in his 90s to a church because he believes so strongly that he's got to get a message out about who the real Jesus is. And he wants to make sure that his people, his listeners, understand that Jesus was a man and was a God. But it was all for him. It was all about getting the message out. You know, it's important for us to get messages out, isn't it? I mean, you know politicians understand the importance of getting the message out today before the election takes place in November. And so they're working really hard to get the message out about why we should elect their candidate over the other candidate. And, and so politicians understand, and, and they're spending billions of dollars to make sure that we understand that message. Retailers understand the importance of getting the message out because they know that if they don't get the message out, the product on the, on the shelf will not be sold. And so they try to sell the product as, as valuable and profitable for you and all you can do so that they can sell that product. And so they need to get the message out to this, how this thing will change your life. They know the importance of getting the message out. Action groups know the importance of getting the message out to communities. And how they want people to understand the cause that they're behind or the, or the, the uh, goal that they have. And so action groups will try to get the message out about the mission that they're involved with so that other people will join them and be a part of what's taking place. And even in the church, it's true, isn't it? That we need to be a place where we understand the importance of getting the message out. Churches die when they decide, when the membership of the church decides that the message doesn't need to go out any longer. And, they, and they've learned, they've lost that desire to share the message. Churches die because of it, but churches thrive when the central understanding of the life of the church is that we need to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And so failure and success determined, is determined by how good we are about getting messages out. And John understood that. And that's why he wrote at the beginning, he says, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And so this was not just a message that John wanted to keep to himself. This was a message that John knew had to get out because it was the true message that the people needed to hear. It was a message that people needed to receive. And he knew that it was laid upon him to be the one who encouraged others to get it out. In fact, John says two things about the message that we're to get out, how we are to get it out. I mean, if we have a message, if the question is, we've got a message how do we get it out? If it's an important message for the world to hear, what, what are we to do in order to make sure they hear it? John says there's two things that I think are really important. We testify to it and we proclaim about it. We testify to it and then we proclaim about it. And so I want to just look at that just for a little bit here this morning. And I, I've got some other thoughts, but I want to share these thoughts with you first. First of all, we need to testify to it. I mean, to testify simply it means to tell people what we've experienced, right? It's to tell people what we know. That's what it means to give a testimony. That's what it means to bear witness. 
I mean, if you're in a court of law, you'll have a witness on the stand. And the witness is there, and they'll ask the question, what did you see? What did you hear? What do you know? What, 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 what did it do to you? And they'll ask those kind of questions. Tell us what you witnessed. And so that's what a witness does. They testify to the information that they've been received. And however, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. This is, this is, you know, this is uh, how it impacted my life. This is what it did to me. That's, that's the testimony. That's the testifying. And John's saying that's what we need to do. We need to get up in front of people, and we need to tell people about what Jesus has done to change our lives. How has Jesus changed your life? Right? That's the question. And he probably, and think about it, he probably didn't give you a jet to fly around a private jet so you could fly around in a jet. He probably didn't help you win the lottery so that you'd have all kinds of money in your bank account. I mean, let's not fudge the facts at all. Let's just tell it as it really is. What did Jesus Christ do in your life? Let's give a witness to that. How did he change your life? I mean, when you think about it, it's probably similar to the way that he changed my life because there's a commonality, isn't there, between what Jesus does in everybody's life. And every one of us who are Christians can kind of give a testimony and, and there's a commonality in a testimony. I mean, he forgave me of all my sin. That's my testimony. He forgave me of all my sin. He cleansed me from all my guilt. He took away the shame of my life. He gave me a sense of peace that I didn't really possess. He filled my heart with joy that I didn't know. He gave me a hope in this world that I didn't have. I mean, there's a commonality of the story, isn't there, of, of what Jesus does in every person's life. That's what it means to testify. Think of John Newton. John Newton gave his testimony in the, in the hymn that he wrote, Amazing Grace. How did he testify to what happened in his life? Amazing Grace, play the song out in your own mind. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You see, that was John Newton's testimony. That's what he's testifying to, that I was lost, but I've been found. I was blind, but now I see. I had no salvation. I was a wretched person, but then he came and saved me. That's the language of testimony and testifying to Christ. See, I, mean, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe it's for you it's something similar. You know, my life was going nowhere at all. I found that I was messing up my life. I got addicted. I got overcome. I, I, I lost track. I was doing the wrong thing. And then I met Jesus Christ, and everything changed in me. He gave me a purpose for living. He gave me a hope for my future. He gave me a goal to achieve for him. He did for me what I didn't deserve, or he gave to me what I didn't deserve, and he gave me more than I could ever expect. I mean, that's a common testimony of us, isn't it? And we're going to testify to that, that what Jesus did. And so could you stand up? Could you stand up before a person and give that kind of testimony to the person around you? I hope you can. You need to. The Bible tells us to. It instructs us that we are to give a sure defense of the faith that's within us or the hope that's within us. We need to be able to get in front, up in front of the world and swear to tell the truth and then to tell the truth of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. 
It doesn't take a theologian to say this. Here's what Christ did in my life. Here's what God did for me. You don't have to go to seminary to be able to do that. All we have to do is just to testify the change that Christ has done. In fact, our church is so important for people to testify to that, that, I mean, even though we have an open membership in our church, that means that anybody can become a member. The only ones that can go through the doorway of membership are those who testify of what Christ has done in their lives. And so you'll meet before a, the membership team and you'll give your testimony. It's your testimony. It's you testifying that Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life. You're getting the message out so that people will know that he has power to change your life. And so John says, first thing we need to do is testify to it. Second thing he wants us to understand is that we need to proclaim about it. We need to be able to proclaim about what just took place in our lives. Now, there's a difference. And the difference is between what happens in the court between a, a witness and the lawyer who is in the court as well. Because all that the witness does is the witness gives the evidence, gives the facts, this is what I saw, this is what I know. And it's the lawyer who then weaves it together in such a way that he tries to convince the jurors that they may need to make a decision based upon the information that the witness gave them. So it's the lawyer who kind of works that together in a way that convinces the others to believe what's being said and respond to what's being said. And really, that's called upon us to do the same thing. I mean, that's what John wants us to do. He doesn't only want us to say, here's what Christ did for me. But he talks about, let's proclaim, make a proclamation about it. Let's tell other persons that what he did for us, he can do for them as well. See, that's where the proclamation leads. That we, it can happen to you as well. Here are the facts. I'm a simple person. And because of that, God could not accept me into his household or into his family. There was a division between me and God. And the only way that division was broken down is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And now this gap that I know between me and God has now been taken away. And there's a bridge there because of what Jesus Christ, and he's taken away all my sin. And now, and, and that's the testimony. Here's the proclamation. And now what he's done for me, he can do for you. And the same Jesus that took away my sin, he can take away your sin. The same Jesus that says that I'm holy and, and blameless in his eyes is the same Jesus who can say to you, you can be holy and blameless in my eyes. The same Jesus that says, I'm preparing a home for you in heaven so that you can live with me forever up there is the same Jesus that will say to you, come to me and you can live with me forever as well. See, we're not only to testify what he's done for us, but we're to proclaim what he can do for others as well. That's what John wants us to do. This is the message that he wants us to get out. It's the proclamation that's important. Let's not proclaim something that's not true. Let's proclaim something that is true. That Jesus has a power over death and that he's resurrected us to eternal life. And so what do we need? We need to testify and we need to proclaim. And, and can I just tell you, let's not make it boring I mean, does that have a testimony where say, you know, I know you're not going to be interested in what I have to say, but Jesus changed my life. 
Okay, I mean, this, is a, this should be the biggest thing that happened in your life. It is. If you're a Christian, there's no other thing that happened in your life that comes close to the significance of you going from being blind to having eyesight, from you going being lost to being found, from you going to be unsaved into a saved category. There's nothing as well. So let's give some energy to what we say, and let's tell people, the greatest news I can give you is that Jesus Christ saved me, and he can save you as well. That's our testimony. Let's not make it boring. Let's make it the most exciting thing we can share with other people because this is the most exciting thing that's happened in our lives and it's the most exciting thing that could happen in their life as well. And so the goal is to testify and to proclaim. And what is the end product of that? So we go out and we testify. We go out and we proclaim. And what do we hope to happen in doing that? Well, John gives us the answer to that in verse 3. In verse 3, he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that, here's a purpose statement, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, you want to be a part of a good group? That's the group to be a part of. That's who we want to get to know. That's where we want to have our fellowship. Not only with one another, that's a great thing, but John makes sure that they understand our fellowship is with the Father in heaven and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That's a fellowship that really matters, doesn't it? That's a fellowship that all of us should you know, celebrate, that we have a fellowship with Father, the close bonding with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why John wanted to get the message out so that he could have them become part of the community of faith that he was a part of because he knew that the community of faith that he was a part of was a community that it was in connection with God the Father and the connection with Jesus Christ. And you want to know the effect it had on John? Knowing that if the message that he got out had an effect on people's lives so they made a decision to receive Christ as their own Savior and became a part of the fellowship that he was a part of. You know the, the effect it had on his life? Verse 4. These things I write to you so that you, so that our joy, I should say, may be complete. These things we write to you so that our joy may be complete. You know, John's going to give a number of times through the, the, his letter, he'll say, this is the reason why I'm writing this to you. This is the reason why I'm writing this to you. He'll do it like five, six times. First time is this one. I'm writing this to you so that our joy might be complete. You know why he knew that his joy would be complete? And he's not talking about so that your joy would be complete. He's saying that our joy would be complete because he knew that the power of the message would change people's lives. He knew that if the message could get out, if we could just testify to it and proclaim about it, people would come into the fellowship. And John says that I'm writing this to you so that when that happens, our joy gets complete. If you've ever met somebody who's come and been able to share their faith with somebody else and they came, that person came to faith, if you were able to do that to another person, you went up and somehow God opened an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them, and you did, and they came to faith, I mean, the joy they have is tremendous, but the joy you have is tremendous as well. And that's what John's saying. Our joy is going to be made complete because we know the power of the message. I mean, I, I talked to Pastor Dave, and he talked about how this last week he had an opportunity to share the gospel with a gal in his office, and she came to faith in that moment. 
You know, that gal never ran into our office to tell us about that experience. But you know who did? Pastor Dave. He wanted all of us to know the joy that he experienced in bringing a person from blindness to seeing, from being lost to being found, to being saved or unsaved to being saved and help them on the pathway to make that happen as he shared the good news. He testified to it and he proclaimed about it and the person became a part of the fellowship that's in connection with God the Father and God the Son and it brought joy to his heart. See, this is just what John wants for us. This is why it's so important to get the message out because the message as it goes out is going to have an impact and, and when it has an impact, it's not only going to bring joy to that person but it brings whole joy to the community of faith. And if you've been a part of that experience, if you had the opportunity sharing your faith with somebody else and you watch them go from death to life, being far off to being near to God, it's the greatest joy that you can have in life. And all that John wants us to do is to know that that can happen in us as well. And so let's get the message out. That's the message today. Get the message out. It's a great message. Let's testify to what Christ has done in our lives. Let's proclaim what he can do in somebody else's life. And let's pray that they come into fellowship so that not only will their joy be full, but our joy will be full as well. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the good news that you have given to us to proclaim. It's not something that we have to hide from or be ashamed of. It's the thing that makes this world different. And you've given it to us and you've called us to be the people who just give witness to it and proclaim about it. And Father, I pray that you'll give us opportunity even this week, even this week, that we'll see a door open for us to have the opportunity to give witness and make proclamation to somebody whose life needs to change to come to know you. Father, put it on our heart to be men and women who don't want to keep this message to ourselves, but we want to get the message out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close in song.